0: No possible way you'll have the stamina to do it all yourself. Gotta find a team who's better than you are to do this stuff. And my team is better than I am at doing all these things. Hi, this is Michael Senoff with Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. Here's an interview with a gentleman named Paul Stack. Paul Stack is one of my audio marketing secret students and he wanted to grill me on the finer points of creating audio interviews. I have to admit I was a little surprised. I thought I'd been asked every question about audio information products that could possibly be asked, but Paul came up with some new questions for me I've never heard before. So by having me give advice to myself as if I were starting all over again, Paul essentially forced me to look at how I've improved not only my interviewing style over the years, but also my efficiency with time and money management. And I share all of these lesser-known secrets in this special interview. So here's some of the information you're going to learn in this interview. How outsourcing can help you leverage your time? What aspects of creating audio interviews are the most time-consuming? And some ways on how you can lighten the load. You'll learn some tips on getting interviews with even the biggest names in any field. Examples of how I set the hook when fishing for joint venture deals. Ideas for packaging interviews to create higher-end products or enhance a subscription-based website. Why I don't waste my money on the most expensive recording devices out there and what I use instead. How my interviewing has improved over the years and also how many interviews an audio marketing student can realistically expect to put out in one week and much more. One of the main goals in audio marketing is to create less hassle for yourself and more value for your customer while still maintaining a healthy profit margin. There are so many ways to do this, including outsourcing your labor and making joint venture deals. And in this interview, we go over some of my most efficient ways I know how. So let's get going.
1: I guess some of the questions I had were talking about As though if you were looking back and you were giving counsel to yourself Mm -hmm. as though you were starting over again, now knowing all the things that you've learned. Right. And so one of the first questions I had was if you just took a 40-hour week and you could allocate your time between arranging audio interviews, performing them, editing them afterwards, writing the sales page, even marketing them, how would you spend that 40 hours a week? Any kind of allocation of that? Would you spend it equally among all five of those things?
0: I guess it's going to be different for everybody. My situation is, I really don't have a forty-hour work week. You know, I've got two young children. I got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and I'm getting a little more time as they get older. But I just wish I had the luxury of a forty-hour week. So I personally don't have all that work time. And there's a lot of people out there like that. A lot of people you may be coaching, they may have kids between karate and picking them up for school. My wife still works three and four days during the week. I'm getting them up. I'm making them breakfast. I'm getting them to school. I'm not back here in the office sometimes till 10. And then between lunch and doctor's appointments, it's always something during the day. Do you have children yourself? I have four. You have four? There's never a dull moment. Maybe your wife handles a lot of the stuff, but you can understand it's always something. Let's say, ideally, if you wanted to do this, do you have a 40 hour work week that would allow you 40 hours a week of pure work without interruptions?
1: Well, I think I agree with you that for most people, getting a pure 40 hours is a challenge. I think more my driving interest is. You spent most of your time actually securing the interviews or most of the time actually doing them? All right, well, if I was to break it down, first of all, what I'm just trying to get
0: out to you is everything I do here with these audio interviews in my business is all in a focus to leverage that time, to make the time that I do have more valuable and more profitable and get more out of it. So outsourcing is where it's at. And fortunately, I have a great team that I've been able to build up. So Like, we'll do this interview, and there's things that need to be edited. Let's say it lasts an hour long, and there may be three or four hours worth of editing to do on this interview. After it's complete, I'll save it to my hard drive, and I'll upload it to my website, and I will send my editor a link, and then she will start on the preliminary editing. So she'll go through and do all the busy work, and you may have heard me do the analogy, like when you get your teeth cleaned, the hygienist gets all the stuff off, and then the dentist comes in and does the final look. So she'll present to me an edited version of this interview that we do, and then I will go through it pretty quickly, and I'll look for anything that she missed. Or I will put an introduction on it. I'll put the ending on it. I'll put the promotional pieces in the middle of it. I may change something around. Depending on what the interview is and who it's with and how I'm going to use it, I may spend more time on it than another interview. And then some interviews all control all of the editing. So here's an example. Yesterday I worked probably for about four hours on a 30-minute interview that I did with a guy which is going to be going on to a CD-ROM that's going to be sent out possibly to tens of thousands of people. So that is an important interview, and it's a promotional interview to promote and feature my website. So... This is a wonderful chance to generate a lot of new business, so I wanted to make sure this thing was perfect. Something like that I may not even leave up to my editor. I may just take control of the whole thing because this is a very valuable piece of, I'll call it audio real estate, and I wanted to make sure it's absolutely meticulous and perfect. So I probably spent four or five hours on this thing, even though it was only 30 minutes where let's say I do an interview that I'm adding value to a product. like Let's say it's my HMA marketing consulting, and it's an interview that just is tacked on for additional interviews to only my paid members, and only my paid members are going to see it. I want to do a good job, but I may not spend as much time as like this interview I'm explaining that's going to go out to tens of thousands of people. But if I was to allocate my time, where am I spending most of my time, The most time in this whole process is the editing of the audio interviews, if you choose to edit them. But I'm paying
1: someone to do that. Someone that you found from Frank's List. Yeah, it's someone I found actually on Elance years ago.
0: And a lot of my team originally were people who bid on projects on Elance. And if you find someone who's good and the price is right and you like them and they do good work, you can eventually get them off of Elance and you just have a relationship with them where you take it outside of Elance so this woman her name is Diane she's wonderful she's a great editor I've been working with her for years and then is it hard to find someone to do the editing I don't think it's that hard it can be a challenge there's been times where I wanted Diane to focus on other things so I did put an ad on Craigslist and I found a lot of people willing to do editing and I trained a couple that did a good job but you gotta find someone who's gonna stick with you you know what about setting up the interviews setting up the interviews well I guess where I'm at now because I have the credibility. I have a little letter I copy and paste. If there's someone I want to do an interview with, I have this letter. I'll send it to you. But actually I should have it up there for the audio marketing secret students. And it's an invitation that invites them to do an interview. And I just email it out. But I won't get an interview with everyone I email it out to. You may email out ten people and get one person who responds. You just got to keep hitting it out. You're only worried about the ones who say yes.
1: And when you first started out though, I imagine you made the telephone calls? If I was talking to someone during my normal business day, I may say, hey, that's a great story. Can we do a recording of this? Can we do an interview?
0: I'd ask them. I can remember many of them. Joe Vitali, we had emailed back and forth. I go, hey, you want to do an interview? If you're going after a certain person, like give me an example. Who would you want to interview? Is there anyone you have in mind?
1: More profession, a specific person.
0: Okay, you could call them up. You could send out an invitation in the form of a letter. You could do it in the form of an email. But you've got to understand what's in it for that other person, okay? First of all, you got to understand people love talking about themselves. How often does someone get to brag about their work and their profession and have someone who's really willing to listen and ask questions? I mean, that's rare today. It's rare for someone to really take an interest in what someone's doing. So that already is going to be a breath of fresh air for that person. When you ask someone to interview them, I mean, a lot of people are honored. They're flattered because not too many people have asked them that. Now, if it's someone who's real high demand and they've been interviewed all the time and they're just too busy, you're going to have to come up with some other reasons why. What are the reasons why this person would want to be interviewed? Now, you may not have a website with hundreds of hours of interviews, but you could say you're planning on taking this interview and distributing it among thousands of potential businesses that could hear who you are and hear your expertise. This can position you in the marketplace. This could bring you new business. So that's what's in it for them. What's in it for them is new business, new clients, new customers.
1: Now, did most of the people that you interviewed, and that was important to them, did they have products that they were already selling that you said that you wanted to participate in promoting those products as well? I don't remember hearing that. Some do, some don't. As i progressed over
0: the years, I wanted to do interviews where I created the interview, and it's used as a marketing piece where I could promote something that I could make some money on. So absolutely. You know, when I offered to interview someone, not only was I getting a good interview and getting great information out of them, but I was getting a new potential revenue source. So if I did my job in doing the interview and creating the best possible promotional interview I could, at the end of the interview, the call to action would direct them to call a number or go to their website. There's many interviews on my site that do that, that are income streams for me. Even though they provide good standalone value on their own for the people who listen to them and want more, more information, I'm directing them to make a call to a phone number that I control that I may have an affiliate relationship with. Not all of them. There's some interviews on my site that are just pure interviews. I direct them to the website, and I have no affiliate relationship with them at all. Anyone I send over, they're going to get all the money. I'm not going to get any. And that's fine, too, because you got to ask yourself, why do I want to do this interview? If I want to do an interview like, for example, with Tom Hopkins, one of the biggest name in sales training, okay, he had a seminar that was coming up. This is the reason why he wanted to do the interview with me. He knew that people on my list were good potential prospects for his upcoming yearly sales training seminar He scheduled the interview with me. We did the interview. He got to plug his seminar. And I didn't ask for commissions for anyone I sent to the seminar. I didn't care because I wanted the marquee value of saying, hey, I interviewed Tom Hopkins. Hardtofindseminars.com has interviews with Tom Hopkins. That's a big name. That boosts the image and the credibility of my site that I'm able to get an interview with a big guy like that. You see? Yeah. You could ask yourself, what's the reason I'm doing the interview? Am I doing it for marquee value, which is like a Tom Hopkins? or J. Conrad Levinson. There was no financial gain for me doing an interview with J. Conrad Levinson, but he has a great big name and it increases the marquee value of my website. Any of the big names like that, those are always good to have.
1: Now With respect to the number of interviews... What's a realistic number? One a day? One an hour? No, it's pretty
0: draining. If you're doing the interview, there's preparation involved. So you fortunately had typed out all my questions. I spent about 15 minutes looking at your questions and just jotting down some ideas of things that I would talk about just in case I drew a blank or whatever. I mean, I think if you said this is all you want to do, you wanted to really focus on knocking out 50, 60 interviews in the next six, seven months, you could schedule and do one a day. I think an hour interview in the morning, you won't be able to do all the editing yourself. But if you get an editor to do the editing for you, I think one a day is realistic and you'll be pretty busy doing that. But you got to have your support staff. Now, the process I do, I do the interview. like I do the interview with you. I get it edited. I'll review it and do the final editing. Now, I've got a writer on my team who listens to the entire edited interview and writes the description for it, the headline and the description. And then I get it to my transcriber, and I get it transcribed. And then I have to create art for the cover. I have a different person for that. So I farm out the editing, headline, description, and the transcription. Those are the three things you've got to do. But you're going to be involved. Involved in all of those processes, just you won't be as involved. You're not going to be typing out the transcripts. You're not going to be re-listening to the whole thing, writing the descriptions. You've got to find a team who's better than you are to do this stuff. And my team is better than I am at doing all these things. Yeah, that makes sense. You're listening to an exclusive interview found on Michael Sinoff's hardtofindseminars.com. There's no possible way you'll have the stamina to do it all yourself. I was doing all the editing myself earlier on. I mean, I learned a lot. It gave me the ability to train someone how to do the editing. I kind of enjoyed it. But your time is far more valuable doing other things than editing audio. The final edit is
1: important. That's fine. Obviously, when you started, it seems to me that you put together 50, 100 interviews and had them online and sort of started developing that as the lead generator. Yes. And then... After a while, you started developing packages of, you know, like an idea, and then start putting together several interviews to make it a package that you could sell. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. And if you were doing it over again now and talking to yourself, would you say, okay, Michael, I want to get 50 interviews done and create a place for people to come to? Do you say, no, I don't think I would do it like that anymore. I would try and put together packages early I don't know. What do you think? There's so many things you can do.
0: I mean, I use the interviews for all of the above. The main thing, my mission is, and I've stated, is to build the world's largest free digital downloadable resource for business interviews. Okay? So I've kind of made my mark in the sand that my stuff is going to be the largest website of free audio interviews. That's your USP. Yeah, pretty much. Okay? I'm the place to go get free business audio interviews. Now, within those interviews, like I said, you know, there's a method to my madness. I've got interviews. Interviews in there that are selling people on things. Number one, they're selling them on me. The quality of my interviews and the questions and the productions that I produce are all selling my credibility and my website's credibility, number one. Number two, they're selling products that I control and promote. Now, before January, I had like 17 different products. And as you compile more and more interviews, those interviews can be packaged into separate products. So I took all the interviews related to joint ventures before January and I created a product called Joint Venture Magic which was a collection of all my audio interviews on Joint Ventures. It had the recordings, the transcripts and then there was an additional course on Joint Ventures that I packaged that. As I did more interviews on trade and barter, I packaged all those together and created a product called Barter Secrets. As we did all the interviews on business buying with our business buying expert, Art Hamill, that became a product that sold for up to $1,500. I'm always testing different stuff. Since January, I now have taken and all my private products that I used to sell on the site, and I've packaged them in with one product, which is my HMA marketing consulting system, Now, I have hours and hours of interviews on marketing consulting. I don't know. Maybe you've heard my HMA system with Richard. Yeah. Yeah, it's a $6,000 home study training, and that's my main product that I'm pushing, okay? So I give away all these interviews, but as people like the interviews and they learn more about it and they spend more time on the site, they're going to know about Richard. They're going to listen to some of the recordings on consulting, and some of them are going to come out and become HMA marketing consultants. So my model, by giving it away for free, give them that value, build trust and rapport, get them to like you, and some of them are going to come out on the other end buying something from you. But there's other things I sell, too, for income. I provide audio interview services. I do product creation where I'll help someone and create an entire product. There's revenues with joint venture opportunities. I mean, there's so many different ways to make money from it, but it all starts by giving away the interviews for free. Now, you don't have to do it that way. You could put your 50 interviews together and not give them away for free. Maybe you could give snippets, one-minute or two-minute clips, just like iTunes does. And so the listener can listen to kind of get an idea or feel what it's going to be about. Give them samples and then have a sales letter that sells a membership site or that sells a product. You can have all the descriptions and the headlines written up saying, here's what you get. You get this interview with this expert, this expert, this expert. You can have 50 of them all packaged. You can have them transcribed. You can have them on CD, or you can have it all as a digital product. And you could sell that for a one-time price. You could sell it as a membership site. Let them know that every month you'll do two additional interviews related to the topic or the market that you're going after. There's all kinds of different models. I just happen to be doing the free Give it to them free, get them in there, and then go for some back-end sales. That's the
1: model I've been using. Well, again, and you're right, there are a lot of different models you can do in most any business venture. I guess the part that I'm curious about for you is looking back on the way you did it starting off, you were trying to make your first thousand bucks, let's say. Yeah. What do you say to yourself? Looking back? You, said, you say, yeah, you know what? If I were doing it again, this is how I would have jumped at it. If I needed to make 1000
0: bucks as fast as possible and I had the skill to do an interview, hands down it would be a joint venture. I would approach someone who had a website, who had a list, an email list or a mailing list, most likely an email list, and there's ways to determine that. Let's say you found a seller on eBay, and you can look at their history if they're at a power. You can see how many reviews they have. If you find someone on eBay and they're selling a product and they have 10,000 reviews, you know there's at least 10,000 sales. And since PayPal owns eBay, you know that anyone who has a PayPal account has the email addresses and the names and the information of all their customers, all in a downloadable spreadsheet available off of PayPal. You need to know that the person you're approaching has a mailing list. That's valuable, number one. You need to know they have a good product and a good website and good customer service. Then I would approach them and introduce myself and approach them to say, hey, I think I know a way where I can help you sell more blank. I'll give you an example. I was online, I was looking at these electric skateboards. These are big skateboards, they have these battery packs, they're electric skateboards. You have a handheld control, and they looked really cool. And I used to skateboard when I was younger, and i take my kids down to the bay, and i sit them on the skateboard and pull them around, and I just thought this was cool. And I found the company's website, and I found that they were on eBay. Their website was all black. I mean, it was an okay website, but it was real dark. The text was in white on black, reverse print, very hard to read. And I wanted one of these skateboards, but I didn't want to pay 800 bucks for it. I wanted three of them, one for me and one for each one of my kids. So what I did, I emailed this guy. And I found the email address on the site, and I said in the subject line, I can help you sell more electric skateboards. And I said in the email, you may know a lot about electric skateboards, but You don't know too much about marketing your electric skateboards. And I just introduced myself and I said, I went to your site and I see that you have the black website with white writing. And research says that it's a lot harder for someone to read white writing on a black screen. And I think you're repelling customers. I've got a few ideas that can help you sell more of these skateboards. If you're interested, give me a call. So the next morning, I get a call on my voicemail. Hey, this is Dave with E Glide Electric Skateboards. I got your email. Tell me what this is all about. So I got his interest. Okay, the hook yeah, that's the hook. Then my next goal was to set an appointment, to take him through this opportunity analysis, to really look at his business. But it wasn't to sell him. all it was to do is to get an appointment. And he called me back and I explained who I am and what I can do and how I saw his site, and I've got an eight year old kid, and you know, ordinarily, I wouldn't contact you, but the reason I am is I really want one of these skateboards, one for me and one for each one of my kids. And I said, I think I can help you. And I made him an offer that he couldn't refuse. Now, in my consulting, I wouldn't do this normally, but this is kind of like a fun project for
1: me. Yeah, but it illustrates exactly what
0: you can do. Yeah. So I made him an offer. I go, look, I'll create an audio interview with you. I'll do some marketing until you're absolutely satisfied, until you think you've got enough value where you send me three of your electric skateboards. And he's like, fine. You know what? You're making me an offer I can't refuse. I'm excited. Let's do it. So we set up a time, and I did two one-hour interviews with him, and I edited it down and created a hard-hitting 30-minute audio interview about his. Electric skateboards, which covered every aspect from the batteries, the trucks, the wheels, the boards, the parts in China, the connectors. I mean, really detailed. He's got an incredible tool now that he can send his potential clients to. Like the Claude Hopkins Brewery. Yes. Perfect. He's like, oh, people don't want to hear all that. I go, Dave, you're wrong. The recording's too long. I go, you're mistaken. It's only too long for the person not interested in a skateboard. That's exactly right. Preemptive marketing is what I did in that recording. So you can approach anyone. Now, I did it just to get some electric skateboards for myself, and I'm still working with him. I'm not finished because he said, me six names of experienced riders who ride his e-glides. I did more features and benefits in the first two-hour interviews, but now I need to get the real good stories from his riders. I've got to get rider experiences and sell the fun and the adventure of it, so I've got interviews to do with his customers, which I'm going to put together, and I'll have all that transcribed and create a consumer's report for electric skateboards. And he's intending to use that as a free... He'll use it to educate his potential buyers or customers who have never heard of an electric skateboard and he'll outsell his competitors with this. So a good, detailed audio interview using the Claude Hopkins technique like what he did with Schwitz, that's all you got to do. you just got to ask detailed questions. And there's ways, you've heard me in some of the recordings, how to prepare. You've got to do your research online, but it's so easy doing the research. And you just write down every potential topic you can talk about. I and mean, then you get it all in an audio recording, but then you edit it down
1: to the best stuff. But that's a good illustration of kind of like the first $1,000. That is one really solid way to do it. Kind of go the other. And let's say young Michael Sinoff, he's no longer 8 years old, but he's 18, and he says, Dad, you know, I'd really like to make $100,000 a year. Okay, then I would
0: tell him to do the same thing what I told you is to set the hook. I can help you sell more of these. Your skill and your talent is by creating, editing, and producing an audio interview or recording a promotional piece, and then I would make the deal and do a joint venture where I would agree to do and produce and create this promotional piece I'll license it to you and do a joint venture. So you'll send this out to your email list or you'll put it on a CD or you'll use this promotional piece to market and sell your electric skateboards, but I want X amount of dollars for every sale. Now, the electric skateboards isn't a good company because the margins are so low. He isn't someone I would do a joint venture. There's no margins. He's got a commodity and he's competing against China. So there's just not enough margins in it for me to do that. But I would approach someone with an information product or a seminar type product or a business opportunity or a distributorship where there's thousands of dollars in potential products. And there's plenty of people out there that are selling services that there's margins. Just by asking questions and doing the Claude Hopkins thing like what you just said, you can create a great promotional piece if you do good editing and ask the right questions. People just don't know the power. They don't understand the power of that audio message that can be delivered and distributed online in a downloadable fashion.
1: Well, that's what you said you did with Mr. Art Hamill. Art Hamill, yeah. kind of dug him up? Well, I found him on eBay when I first started. At that time, when I had my business,
0: I was just buying and reselling old Jay Abraham stuff, but that was limited. I wasn't producing that stuff. I had to buy it from the original people, and I was running out of people to find it from, so I was saying, "Uh uh-oh. I better get some of my own products here. I've got people coming to the site, but I need some stuff that I control and Art Hamill was selling his old original seminars from 1985 he had them in the basement he had taken them back from his distributor and he was just dumping them on eBay and then I contacted him and we did an interview and I was buying his old seminars for 25 bucks a piece and I created an audio interview I took the transcript from that audio and basically created a sales letter which is basically the transcript of the audio interview and I was selling those for $297 and then I sold out his entire inventory and we must have gone on through 150 160 sets of his course and then we didn't have any more so I got the rights from him to remaster it and put it on CD. We had it all transcribed and took the workbook and had it turned into a PDF and since then we've been marketing and selling that since the end of 2004. We've been selling that for 1500 bucks a piece. I now don't offer that to the public. I've now packaged it with my HMA system because I've increased the value of my HMA system even more by adding that and making it exclusive. There is a reason I did that. I was spending a lot of time packaging and shipping physical products dealing with orders, processing credit cards, handling customer service. And at the end of last year, I want as few headaches as possible. And that's why I decided to make all the products digital. I do no physical products anymore except my HMA system, the Art Hamill, the Barter Secrets, the Joint Venture, my 31,500 links package, Eugene Schwartz package, Claude Hopkins package. All my products are now digital products. I don't pack and ship anything.
1: I hear the theme that you're saying is essentially, whereas maybe when you first started out, you might offer to do that service. As you have become more mature, it's easier for you to basically say, hey, I think I can help develop my own package here. And they get more and more sophisticated and obviously more and more valuable, and you can sell it for more. With less hassle. That's
0: right. More value, less hassle. And that's why I eliminated all the physical products. You'd still get returns with physical products just like you would with digital products. A big reason we did physical was to reduce the returns. But it would reduce them a little bit. But still, if someone's unhappy with the product, they're going to return it anyway, whether it's digital or physical.
1: You are kind of talking about the income side there. What about the expense side of doing some of those things? I'm not even sure that I know how many digital downloads you get, but is that a large percentage of the expense of running I've got a relationship, but the same guy who
0: I set my site up with eight or nine years ago is the same guy I'm still with, and I've got a business relationship with him, and we've been trading for web hosting services for years. I mean, I haven't paid cash out of my pocket for web hosting. I have a dedicated service server for my sites with him. If you were to pay for a dedicated server, you're gonna pay about three hundred bucks a month. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. I needed a dedicated server because I have a lot of audios that are downloaded. I don't know what the term is, but I use up a lot of bandwidth or space or whatever. So you need a dedicated server and you'd really need a reliable host. Absolutely. But if you were to pay for it, you'll pay 300 bucks a month, and you'd have all the space you need to host your websites and to offer your downloads.
1: So then from that, what I'm really hearing you say then is, you know, looking back when you first started, how much time you were going to do on it versus how much you were going to outsource. Yeah, your
0: biggest expense is your outsourcing, the labor for the editing and the transcribing and the descriptions. That's your biggest expense. There's not enough hours in the day to get it done yourself. Your expenses, your outsourcing, your labor, because it's labor-intensive to produce something like this.
1: Now, all your interviews have
0: been done on the telephone?
1: Yeah, I haven't done any one-on-one face-to-face interviews, all done from the phone. Okay no call for that otherwise. In other words, you've never had anybody. No reason. And Plus, I'm going to get a lot better quality interview rather than meeting someone
0: face to face and having that microphone. There's less pressure on the phone. I don't have to go anywhere. They don't have to go anywhere. There's no reason to do a face to face interview unless you're videotaping it for some reason or you really want to meet the person face to face. But, you know, Tom Hopkins, why should I have to fly out there
1: to go interview him face
0: to face with a microphone when it can be done on the phone?
1: Video works well if you're going to play it on TV. T V during the middle of the day. For most business people we don't have time to sit there and watch something on T V like that. You know, people want to take the audio with them on the road. Has your quality changed at all? It has changed. When I first started, I was using
0: this thing called Modem Spy, which was some software that allowed you to record calls. It was pretty bad. I didn't know of any other way. Then I learned about the digital recorder. I used a Sony digital recorder. You can pick these up from Radio Shack or any of the electronics stores, and I used that, and I used a little thing from Radio Shack that allows you to plug into the back of your phone so it captures the recording. This quality has been pretty good. I've been pretty pleased with it. There's better quality. You can spend more money for a phone interview. I don't think people are expecting broadcast quality. And your quality is going to only be good on one side. I mean, if I have the equipment here, the high-end equipment, I may sound like I'm broadcasting out of the studio NBC, but the person on the other line is still going to sound like he's on a phone. I don't like having that big of a difference. Now, there is better quality out there. I just haven't done it. I think what I have is
1: good. The market hasn't really called for it either.
0: Very rarely. I have some people who email me and say, hey, you know, some of these audios, it's bad quality. They may be listening to the older ones, or it depends on how they're listening through the quality of their speakers. I don't know if they're listening on their computer or through their headphones. It does bother some people, but most people, I think, are pretty satisfied with it. I think I probably should get a better quality setup, and I need to do that, but what I'm doing right now is pretty easy, inexpensive, and, and works. I haven't had that much pressure or problems where I've been motivated enough to do that. I've got some that works. It's simple, press the button. I'm used to it, and the quality's still pretty good. Plus, you know, when I'm recording, I'm recording in a higher quality, but when you upload it to the internet, you have to save it as an MP3, and you have to save it in a reasonable size file. Because if your file is too big, and you're asking your listeners to download it, it's going to take them forever to download, even with a high-speed connection. They have to be manageable for downloading. And to get a smaller file, you've got
1: to reduce the bit rate in the kilohertz. All in all, if the market's not asking for it and to get that higher quality, you end up causing your customers to spend a lot more energy, time, effort, hassle. Why do it? Yeah. What about becoming an interviewer? You have obviously feel like you've improved over the years just for the sheer sake of experience. What helps make a better interviewer Michael Sinoff today versus an inexperienced Michael Sinoff 10 years ago?
0: Two things. One, research. You know, the interview is going to be as good as what information you're providing the listener, and that's going to be based on the questions you ask, and the questions you ask are going to be based on your research. So my job is to create an interview and to provide value to the listener. What is it that the listener wants to know? What do they want to learn? How can I bring them value? So I've got to hit on topics that will satisfy that listener, and I'm only going to be able to do that by doing my research. So doing thorough research on what the market wants and what the knowledge demand is, what do they want to learn, and providing that to them. One way I do that is some of my interviews I'll email out to my list. Hey, I'll be interviewing Mr. X here. He's an expert at basket weaving. Any questions you have on basket weaving, please send in. I'll ask them on your behalf for the interview. So I'm going right to the marketplace. What do you want to learn about basket weaving? And then I'll have those questions. I'll be giving them exactly what they
1: want. You try to create some sort of form or structure there so it makes some logical sense. I'll organize it. And one trick you've heard me talk about, go to Amazon.com.
0: Search all the books on basket weaving. Find the best sellers. Look inside the index. Look at the table of contents. The index says table setup for basket weaving. That's the first thing. Or buying supplies. So you turn that index into a question. So how do you get set up with your table before you start basket weaving? What are important things I should know about buying supplies? And you just turn those topics into questions, and they'll give you your whole outline and then you could edit in or edit out from that table of contents. Or you can go look at the index on Amazon.com and look at all the detailed stuff talked about in the index. And If there's something interesting, you can write that down. So you should have plenty of information to ask
1: your interviewee. And typically when you're interviewing someone, do you have like a little agreed-on formula if there's a real hiccup or a real flub or a real mistake that they just go <laughs> to edit that out? I explained to them it's not a I have go, it's just going to be you and I talking. I say, you don't have to be nervous because anything we
0: mess up on, I'll edit it out. I tell them I'll clean it up meticulously. I said, if they want, they can listen to the whole thing before I send it out to my list. They can have final approval. And then I'll do that. I'll
1: clean it up. I'll send it to them. i go, here's the edited version. They may say, fine, sounds great. Go for it. We take out stuff that you can go back and listen to. And you go, that's going to be pretty dry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I'm always editing down.
1: Okay. Editing out. Your editing process
0: is usually taking stuff away. The boring stuff, dry stuff, irrelevant stuff, laughing, coughing, beeps, phone ringing, kids in the background, questions that have been asked twice. Maybe you didn't like how he answered it. You could take out both my question and how he answered it. Editing to me is
1: taking out. Today, now obviously you're a lot more sophisticated than you were ten years ago. But uh-huh. today, would you say you start with an hour, you end up with a half hour, or do you start with an hour, you end up with forty-five minutes? Or 10 minutes? It
0: all depends because every person's going to be different who you talk to. It just depends how well this person talks. I mean, you may interview someone and they speak very well; they're polished. Like if you're interviewing presenters and speakers, they're great. I mean, there's very little editing to do. They don't repeat themselves. They know what they're going to talk about. Those guys that's Say you do an hour interview, you may edit down to 45 minutes or 50 minutes. Someone who's not polished and they're all over the place, you could do an hour recording and edit it down to 30 minutes. Absolutely.
1: I've done that before. Do you like to take the spaces out even just between, say, conversational questions? There might be a second or an answer. You cut that out. Good question. I have in the past. I try and edit out
0: any dead space. If it's a pause that's too long, I'll make it shorter. But I've learned there's a real benefit to having space between the words. You know, those pauses can make your message more powerful. For more exclusive interviews on business, marketing, advertising, and copywriting, go to Michael Sinoff's hard-to-find seminars. Dot com. And that kind of becomes an art, and I've kind of learned that maybe in the past I've taken out too much space, and it just kind of is molded all together with not enough space in between the words. But you don't want to make it where there's long pauses, where it's so slow that the person's going to get bored, where they're saying to stuff, come on, hurry up, hurry up, because they're busy. You know, they got stuff to do. They're in their car. They're going to be home soon. The kids are going to run outside. They want to get through this thing.
1: What would you say is a good time frame? Do you like to say, hey, I'd like to ideally end up with uh, 30 minutes, 45 minutes?
0: Yeah, it depends on how you're going to use it. I think maybe a good 45 minute or an hour is good, but I may be wrong. If someone's interested in it, they'll listen to it all. It just depends. Is your market interested in what you have to say? Is your interview captivating? Is it providing value? If it is, they'll listen to it all. So it depends on your market and what you're providing. But I've done interviews that have gone two and a half hours that I have up on my site, some hour and a half. It's going to be hard sometimes to get someone to stay on the phone with you for two hours to get an hour and a half. I think people who are being interviewed, an hour is pretty standard. If it's someone that I really want to get more information from, I may do the hour interview and I say, oh man, you know what, we've ran out of time, can we reschedule and I've got a few more questions for you and then you can reschedule it another day to knock out the questions. He's already invested an hour. If you really want to get more, you can stretch it out and get more from him.
1: Over the years, you've probably gotten better about anticipating what works well in terms of what people Really want to listen to. What are the common threads of things that you see work like? I would think that maybe topics around either making or saving money really people jump on versus tech on something more abstract, maybe not as much, but what
0: do you see? Definitely people want to save time. They want more freedom in their lives. They want to travel. They want to make more money. They want the real scoop. You know, you'd also ask me what else is important in the interview process besides the research, and I don't want to miss this, but another thing I was going to say was it's important that as an interviewer, you talk less in the interview. You've got to understand that people are there to hear the expert and not really you. And other interviewers, and even when I first started, you want to pipe in and talk more and say, Yeah, you know, I can really understand that. And you want to relay your experience in relationship to the person you're interviewing. But you don't hear me talking much unless I'm being interviewed, like right now. But if I'm interviewing an expert, you're basically just going to hear me asking the question, and then you hear the interviewee talking. So when you're interviewing an expert, let them be the expert. You need to sit in the background and try not to let your ego make you talk more than you have to. I mean, I find myself editing myself out a lot in some of my previous interviews. So that kind of comes with maturity and understanding who this interview is really for. That's for your listener. They're not interested in you. They're interested in you because you're asking the questions on their behalf.
1: You doing the interview, the listener is kind of imagining that he's you. You mentioned something that I thought was very powerful, and that was the fact of having a list of people to ask questions. What would you like me to ask? Yeah, Today, looking back on it, you started with hard-to-find seminars. That was kind of your top end of the funnel. But today, if you didn't have that, how would you market hard-to-find seminars, even though you would have seminars. What would be your way you would go about going to the top of your funnel? So the quickest way to make money and the most powerful way to make money, if you've got
0: these interviews, you need to approach online businesses or offline businesses that have customers who'd be possibly willing to pay for this information that you have. You've got the interviews, you approach them, you say, I've got these interviews your customers would die for, they'd pay you 100 bucks for, let's do a joint venture, let's do a deal. You want to do a deal. Can we offer your customer list my interviews? Could you endorse my interviews to your customers? And you set up an affiliate thing with them. You pay them 50%, especially if it's all digital product. You know, the Art Hamill thing, we don't have available on my site to the public, but I did an interview with a student, like Yourself, in the UK, and he was in the land real estate business, a guy named Mike Bloxham, and we were talking, and he had a list of about 4,000 people who had bought a couple mortgage courses from him, and he really liked the Art Hamill stuff. And he says, hey, can I offer this Art Hamill thing to my list and do a deal? I said, sure. I said, let's do it. I was only going to do it if it was a digital product, and we offered it at three. Three hundred ninety-nine dollars US, which I forget what it equals to in pounds, and I had a series of emails already prepared. I set up a special web page with the Art Hamill sales letter just for his special offer, just for his customers, and we did about three different mailings to his list of 4,000, and we sold like 30 different customers at $400 apiece. I tapped into that customer list that he's been working on for years to build up, and we split it 50-50. He did the email, I set it up. He sent the emails out, and all I had to do was send an email to his customer and charge their credit card. To promote it, we used a good sales letter, but primarily the real muscle behind it was the audio interviews I'd done with Art and some of his students already. And I got another guy on my list who's got a list of about four thousand here in the U.S. and we're going to do the same thing. I just took the sales letters and put his name, special offer for. And audio students. So let's say you have had your fifty interviews and they're all on a specific subject, you could pay someone off of Elance or Craigslist good money to do nothing but be a joint venture manager and to approach and set up joint ventures
1: with potential people and keep it digital
0: and you know, you can make yourself five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand bucks a joint venture.
1: When he was promoting this offer. Was there anything about you in there? Oh, yeah. You? I was just talking to my friend Michael Senoff here, and he told me about a U.S. business buying guru named
0: Art Hamill, blah, blah, blah. Here's a record. you know, and He directs him to the recording in the sales letter.
1: That's it. Okay. So by coming there, obviously, if they didn't become a buyer. Oh, you... yes. They know me now.
0: They're on my list.
1: In other words, did you do the mailing? Did he give you his list? No, he did the mailing. Okay. I gave him
0: the text for the emails of what to send.
1: Okay. But you were obviously interested in either one, selling the product, or two, at least getting them to opt in to your list. Yes. So you could send them updates on other audio products that you were producing. Yeah. I
0: didn't make them sign in with an opt-in page. They were sent the link. They could hear the interview and read the letter right there. You know, we had maybe 40 sales out of the 4,000. For the people who visited the site, we were able to
1: sell 2%, which is a good number.
0: Now, that was 4,000, but what if it was a list of 40,000?
1: Right. And I hear what you're saying, then, because of the power of the JVs, you wouldn't necessarily even have to go spend money on pay-per-click. I didn't have to spend
0: money on anything.
1: Have you ever spent
0: any money on advertising? I used to pay-per-click years ago and I just thought I said I'm done with this. I didn't want to mess with it. Okay. In
1: other words, the return on your investment on the JVs is so much better. Yeah, I didn't have
0: the patience to measure and follow it and it was just a pain. I mean, I probably should do a pay-per-click. I just didn't want to mess with it. I was spending a lot of money on the clicks and I guess I was too in Dated or too busy or too lazy to measure it all. I didn't have the stick to it ness to really pursue it. It drove me crazy.
1: I mean, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah,
0: yeah, it took up too much time.
1: When you're going on to a question, just about people that you want to interview, what have been your more successful ways of giving them a reason to want to give you an interview versus maybe some other things that you look back on and say that wasn't very successful? I probably wouldn't go with that. Angle. I mean, look, you know, on TV, Oprah, all these shows. When someone comes on to agree to an interview, they're promoting
0: something. They got a new book coming out. There's a new movie coming out. They're sponsoring a charity. There's an event. There's always something in it. There's a reason why someone would want to give an interview. You could approach publishers. You can go to Amazon.com, search your topic. Let's say it's basket weaving find all the books on basket weaving. These are experts who have written a book on it. They maybe not necessarily have sold any books. And then you can contact the publisher, find out the author, find them, email them or call them or contact them through the mail and introduce yourself and say would you be willing to allow me to interview you about your book on basket weaving? Most publishers don't sell a lot of books. Most publishers are making very little money on their books and they need to move some books. So any publicity is good publicity. They don't know who you are. You could have a website that looks pretty professional. It doesn't have to have hundreds of interviews. You could say, you know, Paul Stack is a professional interviewer. And, you know, you got to give them a reason why they want to interview you. you got to tell them that if you're not distributing their interview to tens of thousands of people, you can say you're working on a promotion to distribute their interview to tens of thousands of people. You're interviewing the world's foremost basket weavers in the United States. And you're going to be offering these interviews free to people interested in basket weaving. And this will potentially bring you new business. Not everyone's going to say yes, but some will. Have you ever had to pay for an interview? I've never paid for an interview, only with my time. Okay. I would pay
1: for an interview, though.
0: Yeah, if it's someone I really wanted and it was valuable to me, I'd pay them.
1: No problem. I think there was that story recently about Russell Brunson that paid for that five-hour interview. Who was that with? Do you know? Vincent. Oh, yeah, Vincent
0: James. James. Yeah. Vincent. I interviewed Vincent James for nine hours. I did that even before Russell. Did you? Yep. I had a nine-hour interview. We never came to a deal. We did the whole promotion, and we couldn't agree on what we were going to do. And it's just sitting on my desktop. I can't release it or anything until I, it's okay. I told him I wouldn't, but we could never come to an agreement. So on his whole everything.
1: No, oh, It's incredible. Did Russell Brunson pay him to do the interview? I believe he did. You know? yeah, yeah, he may have. I mean, that's how he stated it. That's very possible. Yeah. I mean, I want to say that he actually stated that he paid him like $10,000.
0: That's possible. It's probably worth it,
1: Chuck. I bought it. Uh huh. I think you said he sold like ten thousand copies at like forty dollars a piece. Wow, that's great. But I mean, I hear what you're saying. You can go either way, just depending on
0: what. A guy like that, you know, he had that story. There's all kinds of people with great stories, and you can pay for the licensing rights of his story. There's a new movie coming out with Tom Hanks, How Starbucks Saved My Life. And there's a book about it. And it's a true story about this older man in his 60s. I think he cheated on his wife. He got divorced. He was homeless. His kids didn't want to talk to him. And he would go to Starbucks every day. And the manager came up to him and said, Are you here to apply for a job? And he never even thought about it. He had no money. And he took the job at Starbucks. He got medical benefits. And Starbucks really saved his life. You know, he made friends with the employees there one of the big motion pictures bought the rights to the story and Tom Hanks is playing that guy and it's gonna be in the movie. Yeah, so you can buy any story and I have a licensing agreement that's pretty comprehensive. You know, that's licensing. You can license a story and have exclusive worldwide rights to that story. So if I approach Vincent James and he didn't have a book or he wasn't doing anything with it, I could approach him and say, You know, I'm a publisher, I'd like to buy the rights to your story and you can buy that with maybe a small upfront advance. You can give them $2,000 and say that I'm going to buy the rights to your story, and then I'm going to produce an interview series with you, and we're going to promote it, and we're going to sell it as a book. We may try and sell the movie rights to it, but I will own the rights to your story. And then you could make an agreement in your licensing agreement that you'll pay a royalty, a percentage, 1%, 2% depends what you negotiate and you can obtain that intellectual property rights to a story
1: absolutely so you could do that with
0: any potential person before you interview them.
1: now it sounds like what's important to you in that process is that okay you negotiate whatever's a win win but you want to have the final say so on the edited interview yeah you
0: want control you know if you're going to put your time in the production the editing and everything yeah you want control you definitely want control you're the doctor you don't want him telling you how it's going to be edited you need control all my interviews i mean they understand i'm going to do the editing this is it i'm producing it this is how it's going to be
1: have you ever had any pushback when you have, like, little audio trailers in the front, middle, or end that, say, come to this site or ask about this product or you might want to check into this service? I haven't. You know, I'm pretty bold when I do that
0: because, you know, I use these interviews to promote Michael sonoff Another example, there's a great sales trainer named Eric Wolfholm, and he's in the sales training industry, and we did a trade where they approached me, and I've known him for years, and we've gone back and forth. We were always going to do something, and I was going to interview him, and he was going to interview me, and I was going to promote a training that they had, and then they were going to promote something of mine, so I did an interview with him on sales scripting, and then he's going to be putting that up on his website so he can use that interview for whatever he wants. And I'm going to put my version up on my website, but the version I sent him doesn't have my promotion in it. It's just a straight interview directing his listeners or his potential prospects to his stuff. There's no, you're listening to Michael Senos, hardtofindsiminos.com in his version. But in my version on my website, I have that. So if you felt like there was going to be pushback or a problem like that, let's say Tom Hopkins wanted to put the interview up on his site, you've got to kind of play it by ear. I could put my promotional stuff, but if I think it's going to kill my chances of them putting it up on the site and them offering it to their customers, I would leave it off. That makes sense. But there's ways in the interview where the listener can get to know you and there's subtle things you can do to get them to go to your site, if that's what you really want. And you always want to be promoting, but you don't want to be a hog about it.
1: It all depends on the situation. How do you that service that you can go out and get all the mailing list things. SRDS. Yeah. I've subscribed
0: to the SRDS for years and I found the mailing list off there before. It's an incredible resource. Do you do mailings today? I, I don't. I mean, it's something I want to do more of. I've done some test mailings. I haven't done as much as I should and I'd like to. And I always have plans to do it because it's an incredible resource.
1: One thing I've noticed that you like to do, and I guess I'm going to ask you if it works for you or what all ways it does work for you and that's when, say for example, if i purchased a product from you oftentimes part of the package will be some sort of short consultation does that work pretty well for you you've kept it in there over the years
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you bought the audio marketing secrets, and now we have a chance to talk. The consultation is valuable. I guess we wouldn't be doing it if you didn't think it was. You know, that's part of what you paid for. So you kind of see it leaving. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. It can and has led on to other work and joint ventures and stuff like that. Yeah. If you already had this product put together and you need the consulting and you wanted to talk to me about it, I get to learn a little bit about what you're doing. I have some intelligence on your mailing list. I could say, hey, why don't we? Do-? It leaves the door open. Open to get to know your customer better for a potential deal, if that were to happen, absolutely.
1: But This has been terrific. You know, for me, personally, the reason why I've loved listening to the interviews at your site is that I travel a lot, and I just download them onto my iPod, and, you know, I work out. I listen to something. Do you have headphones in your ears when you're driving, or do you do it through your car stereo? Both. Okay. Yeah, How
0: does the sound sound to you? What do you think of the quality? Not that good through your headphones or your car stereo? Would you like to hear a better quality sound? For me personally? Yeah. No. Okay. I'm totally satisfied. They I just
1: play it when I'm cutting the grass. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Look, I got my little iPod shuffle, and when I put my kid to sleep, sometimes he wants you to lay there for 30
1: minutes, and I bring my
0: little shuffle, and I'm
1: listening to audio while I'm waiting for him to fall asleep. You know how as, over the years, as you've gotten to know different people, you'll come away and you'll say, gosh, I really understood what he was thinking. Uh-huh. And other people, you might say, I just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. But I really get how you think, and I mean, it's exciting to think about the opportunities there. And, you know, for me personally, like I said, I'm coming into this, my primary interest has been I love to help other men grow and develop, mm-hmm. and there's so many things that you see in people's lives that could be so much better, not just in other people's lives, but our own. And then you hear about people, like you said, I bought the barter Secret. secrets.
0: Uh, did you get Carter secrets from it? I did. Oh, good.
1: Yeah, and you know I sit there and go, I had no idea that that was even out there. Yet. What do you think of it? Did you go through that whole thing? I have. Pretty I incredible. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. But you know what's amazing is that's been there for all this time. Yeah. I just didn't know it. And really at the heart and the soul of it is really a development of your whole JV idea.
0: Now, let me interject about the barter secrets. I'll give you an example of how I get an interview. I got a call from a guy on Friday, and I had an ad up on ITEX iTex puts ads up for their people. So I had an ad up on iTex for some of my Jay Abraham stuff for trade. And this guy called me, and he has been involved in the barter industry for 15 years. He has done incredible deals with barter. I mean, this guy's really seasoned barter guy. He had a great radio voice, and he hadn't been to my site. And we just got to talking, and he does a lot with media and discount, liquidated, billboard. Boards, radio, newspaper advertising. He oh, that's that And I go, let me interview you. I go, you put together your top 20 case stories on trade deals. And he said, all right, all right. And he hadn't been to my site. And then I guess when we hung up, you know, he's like, okay, yeah, we'll do it. I'll come out there and we'll meet face-to-face. I didn't want to be rude and say, well, I'm not meeting you face-to-face. We can do this all over the phone. And so he did go to my site. And then I got a call like the next day. like, Michael. I saw your site, and man, I'm gonna read every bit of this, you know, so, he goes, you got chutzpah. And so we're definitely going to do an interview. I can't wait because this guy's really seasoned. And so that's a perfect example of how you can get interviews when you're talking to people
1: every day. If you find out what they do or you know what their expertise is,
0: you know you just say, hey, let's do an interview.
1: That's what Jay Abraham had that story about getting all the billboards at Christmas time for like one one hundredth of the value and trading them for the razors. The razors, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. Was that great? Yeah, that's exactly right. Hey, well maybe just one question. Good. That wouldn't be on the interview, but so, based on just some initial conversation that we've had today, uh-huh. what would be some tips that you'd have for me in terms of how to relate to people on the telephone? In other words, specifically, Paul, here's some things that came across well. Here's some things that I think you could work on.
0: Just based on us
1: talking? Yes.
0: Oh, I think you're fine. I mean, nothing. You just ask me the question straight out in a normal tone, and I'm relating to you fine. I wouldn't say there's anything you could do more. You didn't butt in. You just asked the question. You're a good listener. I think you're ready to go. Okay. Have your questions written down. Once you know what you're going to ask, doing the
1: interview is easy. If you're prepared, you have your questions, you line it up. Here's the part that I come away just so absolutely amazed at these kind of conversations is I'm coming away with something very tangible and different leaving than when I started. And that's this more developed appreciation for how you thought through your whole JV concept of finding people, offering to give them something, and then looking to partner with them on helping to. Help Set it out for their list. You've got to understand that interview, most people just don't
0: get it, how valuable and how powerful it is. You know, professional copywriters, you'll pay a copywriter, a real good one, $10,000, $20,000 to write a sales letter. Me and Ben Settle, he's one of my copywriters. He writes a lot of copy for me, but we have a little system where I do the intensive interview, I give him the interview and the transcripts, and he builds the copy from the transcripts. It's all got to start with the interview. It really starts from the research in the questions before the interview. But once you get all your questions lined up and you've done your research, that's the most important thing. And you're asking the questions that your potential market needs to hear the answers to or wants to know the answers to or has concerns about or wants to hear the answers to common objections about. If you get all those in the interview, then you've got gold. And especially because with the Internet, you can deliver it and have it downloaded. People don't have to read it. They can if they choose. And it's just an automated selling message that can become viral and just can make you money 24-7
1: while you're sleeping. You've got the front end of your funnel, though, pretty well developed, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, I do. So, in other words, if you never did another interview in your life, wouldn't the top end of the funnel keep Yeah, yeah, because there's always a new parade of people. Yeah, that's
0: true. I love doing these interviews and I love creating interviews and creating these products. Sometimes doing the marketing is not as fun, you know, doing the work. So it's always a battle. I do want to keep building more and more interviews. I want to make it bigger, better. You know, but I do have to pinch myself and say, Stop, you got enough interviews here. Do more marketing, get more new people to it. So it's a combination of both. Okay, that makes sense. Product developers and creative people, they love creating products. I mean, I love that. But you can fall into a trap where you're not doing the things that you should be doing, like selling and marketing. And if you know you're a person like that, you farm it out. Like my assistant Diane, not only does she do the editing, I'll give you an example YouTube, okay? YouTube's an amazing resource to get publicity. We've taken every single one of my interviews and we've made 10 minute clips. YouTube has a limit of how big the file can be. And we created a little movie. I took my best testimonials out of my website and we made slides. So I have a 10 minute slide presentation of nothing but testimonials. And then you hear the audio of the interview. And I have the subject. So with Tom Hopkins, you hear the first 10 minutes of my Tom Hopkins interview. And then at the end, there's a slide that directs them to hardtofindseminars.com. So it's a promotion. Is that a keyword I could look up on YouTube? Just type in Michael Sinoff on YouTube. So we're putting up, I think, over 200 audio interviews up on YouTube, and I'm looking at the views already. I mean, you know, they've only been up for a few days, and we're getting 17 views, 18, 20, some 10, and you add
1: that up. You'll have like a 1,000 per month on some of those. Once they get indexed, absolutely. It's just going to be another source for getting people to my site. What about iTunes? Yeah, I've got
0: almost all my interviews up on iTunes. I get a lot of people who learn about my site through iTunes, absolutely. So those are the marketing things that bring people to the site. My goal is to get them to the site. Get them to the site. Get them to the site. And you do iTunes. You do YouTube. You do e articles. All the marketing pillars. So that's something I have Diane doing. She's going to be working on this all week. By the time I finish paying her, it may be $500, 700 $800, $1,000 before it's all done. But it's all an investment back in the business.
1: In some ways you're as famous as like Jay Leno. I guess in the little internet circles maybe. Well I'm not so much internet circles even though you know it's digital downloadable stuff but I mean just in the business community. I tell a lot of people about it, yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, a lot of people already knew. No, did they really? Yeah. Well, it's hard for me
0: to tell. I can only see how many unique visitors come to the site. But what I don't see is, let's say there's 1,000 unique visitors today who come to the site, all different people. And let's say 400 of them come and they leave. But the other 600 maybe download an MP3 file, and they have it on their hard drive, or they download a transcript. And then once it's on their computer... You know, transcripts are pretty viral because they're not that big of a file. They could send them off to their friends and people they know. So it's hard to tell beyond when they initially come to the site and download. But once they have the download, they could upload it somewhere else. It's hard to email a big file like that. But it's hard to say. I don't know really how many people know about me. I know a lot do, but a lot don't, too. Okay, so let me ask you this. So when you tell a lot of people about me, in what manner, what do you say? Do you say, go to his site, or have you ever
1: emailed a PDF of a transcript. Had you hear my sales script. Yeah, let me hear it. Okay. Hey, they say, what's going on? How you been doing? Oh, man, awesome. I was on the way up here today. You know, This is to a customer. I was listening to this interview by XYZ, and it was tremendous, man. That guy had just great marketing insight. He said, hey, you ought to go there. It's free. You can go download it. You can either read the transcripts or listen to it on your iPod. And they'll go, oh, where is it? I go, well, hardfindseminars.com. There you go. That's my sales plan. That's it? Yeah. Okay, so you'll tell them about it and they'll go on their own. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't sit there and say, okay, let me show you how to do you know, this and download it or mm-hmm. whatever. But I'll get them started. All right, that's good. I appreciate that. Yeah. So great. these are potential prospects of yours or people you know? Well, remember, again, I have an agency. Agency contracts out with manufacturers. And so I've got some really great customers, and, you know, I'm always showing them off new products that we're making or trying to work on jobs that they're pursuing and projects. And so some of these people say, oh, I know about hard to find seminars? Yeah. Well. Again, remember, a lot of the guys I'm calling on are like sales managers or distributors. And so, you know, they're kind of in the business of needing to be marketing savvy. That's possible. Yeah. I wouldn't want to tell you that everybody said yes. It kind of like intrigues me Mm -hmm. the number of times people say, I've been there before. In fact, I've downloaded some stuff. Good. I go, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, it's a big world, but it is a
0: small world too.
1: Well, like you said, at the end of the day, I mean, I bought a lot of stuff from Nightingale. Uh huh. But, you know, if you ask marketing people where to go to get good material, I think that you know, if they're sloppy, they're just going to say, "Well, I don't know, got, uh, Amazon." Yeah, but if they know, they'll send them to my site. Right? Exactly. I don't know. I'd almost say that your site versus Nightingale, you kind of get the insider scoop versus a kind of polished, you know, here's a presentation for everybody. Yeah, that's right. Do you feel that way? Yeah. I mean, I can get there are the lectures though. I mean, I learn from a lot
0: of those guys and some are good, but what I have is totally different. In that 30-minute recording I was telling you I was working on, I really hit home on that. I'm different because they're interviews. It's different from a lecture. Lectures can be boring. It's hard to listen to a lecture. It's harder to listen to a lecture than it is listening to an interview. The interviews, you're more drawn into it. And I try and ask the juicy stuff that people Really want to hear the answer to.
1: Exactly. You know, and
0: that keeps you listening longer.
1: No, I'm with you on that 100%. Yeah. Well, this is just an outstanding. I'm really very grateful. Time. No problem. It is my pleasure. And hey, this is how you got to use your time. You know, it wasn't
0: a waste of time at all for me. I'm gonna have another great recording. I enjoyed meeting you and talking to you. And I'm gonna edit it. And it's something I would have done anyway. But now I've got more value for my site.
1: Well, and from my standpoint, I feel like i have been a customer, am a customer, and will continue to look for new opportunities to be customer. Great. Well, if you need anything else, just get back with me. Okay. Sorry.
0: Right? That sounds great. All right.
1: Bye bye. You're listening to an interview
0: on Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. That's the end of this question and answer interview where Paul Stack is interviewing me on Audio Marketing Secrets. I hope this has been helpful, and if you have any questions whatsoever, please contact me at Michael at MichaelSenoff.com. For more interviews like this, go to HardToFindSeminars.com.